Hi, it's episode 128, and today we're talking about the coffee-till-cocktails culture in parenthood. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A-style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi there, this is Danae. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode 128. And this month, October, we are talking about self-care. The term self-care is a little bit confusing. I know when I first had my kids, I thought self-care was going to get my nails done and my hair cut. But there's actually so much more to it. It's about as parents giving ourselves the time and space to find some calm and bring it back home and share with our families. And that's going to look different for everybody. Today, we're launching off this mini-series talking about the coffee-till-cocktails culture. Families are so busy and overwhelmed today that often parents need a whole lot of coffee to wake up and start the day, and then a lot of wine and cocktails to wind down and close it all down. Before we get into that, here's a quick word from the sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar. It's made out of simple ingredients like egg whites, dates, nuts, and other delicious things like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, that type of thing. I've been loving the adult bars for some time, and I recently learned that they also have a kid line available as well. And they sent me some to try, and I have to say that the kids and the adults ate them. Both the adult and kid RX Bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free, and they don't have any of the artificial stuff. They're great for parents who are looking for something before or after a workout, breakfast on the go, snack at the office, or you can keep them in the car. That's what I like to do. If it were up to my kids, they would eat bars like this all day. So I do like to keep them in my purse or in the car. It's a quick, non-messy snack that can be easy for when we are on the go. RX Bar is offering the Simple Families audience an exclusive pack of six adult bars and four kid bars so your whole family can enjoy them. You can get 25% off your first order if you go to rxbar.com forward slash families and use the promo code families at checkout. Again, go to rxbar.com forward slash families and use the promo code families at checkout. Today, I have an interview with Brooke Conley. I first met Brooke last year. Brooke is one of those people that have this magnetic feel about them that when you see them and you meet them, you just think to yourself, whatever she's having, I'll take one of those. I definitely knew that I wanted to have her on the show. I just didn't know exactly what I wanted to have her talk with you all about. So when she recently posted on Instagram that she quit drinking, she had been a social drinker before, I was intrigued and I knew that she would be a great person to talk to about this topic. It's something that I've been wanting to broach for a long time. So Brooke is joining me today to talk about quitting drinking. Now, we're not talking about alcoholism today. We're talking about drinking more than you want to drink or trying to cut back on drinking. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, heck no, I need my wine every night, then maybe this conversation is particularly relevant for you. Now, I will say that I drink coffee and I drink cocktails, so this conversation is in no way meant to shame anyone. Instead, my intent in this conversation is to take a deeper look at our habits and to decide if these things that we're using for self-care, you know, mom's night out, getting a couple drinks, if these things are really serving us. So I invite you to take a listen and give a little bit of deeper thought into some of the coping mechanisms in parenthood. 
If you have questions or comments on this episode, I invite you to leave them at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 128. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Brooke. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Danae. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Brooke, I wanted to tell you a little bit first about where the my original idea for this conversation came from. A few months ago, I was walking through Target and in the clothing section, right in the front, they always have a few pieces of clothing on display. And there was this cute sweatshirt, sort of like an off-the-shoulder draped sweatshirt, and it had writing on it. And it said, coffee till cocktails. Mm -hmm. And I just stood there sort of reflecting on this and thinking, coffee till cocktails, like this, that doesn't feel good. (laughs) But at the same time, it resonated with me and the community of mothers that I live with in this idea that many of us are living. We wake up in the morning and we're so tired that we need coffee to get us through the day until it's time for cocktails. And we have cocktails or wine to wind us down and get us to sleep at night. And then we wake up the next day and we do the same thing. And I think that it's a conversation that we need to be having. And I've been following you for a while on Instagram, Brooke, and you brought this up, this very thing up and explained that you formerly had been a drinker and now you're not drinking. And I really want to hear your story. Yeah, I'm so glad that you are having this conversation because the coffee and the cocktails are definitely bookends in so many of our lives. And I started noticing that in my own life. And it just grew to the point that I I didn't really want to live a life that was buffered that way anymore. So I'm happy to share my story about how it came to be that way because it certainly wasn't always like that. I'll try to keep my story about drinking as linear as possible. Although, you know, with things like these, it's always more nuanced than you could ever possibly tell it. But the short version is, is that I feel like I have always drank. I loved, loved, loved to drink. And I was very big into romanticizing alcohol, champagne to celebrate, beer on a boat, wine after a long day, the frozen drinks at the beach. And I was very much the life of the party. I was always the one who talked my friends into day drinking or into having just one more. I would have loved that shirt that you saw at Target. (laughs) Which I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but that's kind of, I really believed in a lot of that. And so, you know, it goes way back. I had my first drink at 12 and I could leave it at that. And maybe you would this, you know, maybe you would think it was a wine cooler, but the truth is, is that it was a handle of bourbon and I got absolutely hammered on bourbon and, you know, 12 year olds have no business being around liquor like that. And now that I have an eight-year-old daughter, it just blows my mind when I think of this in comparison. Um, But that's the truth. That's how I started drinking. And I don't really remember ever not drinking from that point of my life forward. I I was rebellious from an early age. I was very outgoing, but I always felt like I needed more of everything. I always liked to have a lot of whatever it was that I was enjoying. And at the same time, I also felt like I needed an escape. I liked to fantasize. I had a tendency to dissociate. So alcohol was really good for me. It kind of pushed all of those buttons. It helped me to let loose. And I drank all through high school. I drank through college, but nothing ever out of the ordinary. I kind of did what everybody else was doing, even though I was a relatively heavy drinker in my high school and college years. So as I got older, I seemed to settle, my drinking kind of seemed to settle into more socially acceptable standards. I still definitely like to drink a lot, but it felt more like socialization to me. I never saw my drinking as being different from how anybody else was drinking. 
And we were kind of all drinking the same in my social circles. That said, I was always very hyper aware of alcohol use. And I was also very hyper aware of drinking in a way that others maybe are not because I was raised in an alcoholic home. I witnessed a lot of extreme moods. I witnessed a lot of behaviors. And I was a very curious child who was always very hyper, hyper, hyper aware of my surroundings. And so, you know, I definitely had some trauma from that childhood and I absorbed a lot of what was happening. And I knew what alcoholism was. I knew what rehab was. I knew what AA was all by the time I was in fourth grade. So while I was drinking, I was also very conscious of the possibility that drinking could be too much for certain people, if that makes sense. However, I continued to drink and I never really thought it was too much for me because I was kind of holding my drinking against this litmus test from my childhood of what heavy drinking looked like. And I don't think it was an overt comparison. I think it was more of a subconscious thought. But because my drinking was never close to what I had seen or experienced, I thought I was fine. And so I got older, I got married, I had children, my drinking mellowed even more, but it just kind of took on a different shape. I started to notice that I was using it as a treat or as a way to de-stress and really started thinking about this notion that I earned it. And that really became true after I had my daughter. I suffered through a little bit of postpartum depression with her. And alcohol was a lifesaver to me at the end of the day. And then my son came along about two and a half years later, and he had some very intense medical issues. He had open heart surgery, and then he was diagnosed with leukemia. And we basically lived in the hospital for two years. And this was the first time that I ever really felt shame around my drinking because my stress was just so big at that time that I just felt like I needed a drink. I really needed anything to take that pain away. And so there were certain times when I would leave him in a hospital bed to go and have a drink. And that felt really awful. But what I was realizing and what I know now is that was a really difficult time of motherhood. And what I really needed was a break. And so while drinking always felt good in the moment, it always felt worse after. So I I started to look elsewhere I began to do some research. I found meditation. I found breath work. I love to read about the brain. I started reading about human development, Buddhism. I got back into my yoga practice and I just decided I was going to do some really deep hard work and try to figure my life out. And that was about six years ago. And I started making all of these strides in my life and I was starting to feel really great, but I was still drinking. And what I then began to realize was that Alcohol had been a constant through every major event in my life. And it wasn't just this hospitalization that my son had experienced. It was the graduations, my engagement, wedding, vacations, birthdays, friendships, the good times, the bad times. It's just a life soaked in alcohol. And I just really wanted to start to examine that because there was just so much more that I felt like I wanted to do. And I felt like there was this kind of fog between me and the life I wanted to live. Sometimes I'll say it's like a screen door, like I'm inside and everything I want is just on the other side of that door, but I couldn't figure out how to get there. And um, I felt like my insides were not matching my outsides. And it really started to dawn on me that that fog, that that screen door was the drinking. And so I just started to wonder, do I want to be on my deathbed and say that I drank a lot of really good champagne 
or do I want to go after every single thing that I've ever longed for? And way more importantly, I started thinking about what did I want to show my kids and what type of parent did I want to be? And did I want to show them that I was really interested in opening a bottle at the end of the day and maybe telling them, you know, go away, mommy's having her time, which was something I was absolutely doing. Or did I want to be active and vivacious and full of energy and present? And I wanted them to see a life that was very full. I wanted them to see that I could live a full life that didn't include alcohol at all. And so I just thought long and hard about quitting, but it didn't happen overnight. I thought probably close to five years before I actually did it. And it was a lot of soul searching It was not easy at all to come to the conclusion of cutting it out of my life, but it was absolutely clear that that was the choice that I wanted to make. And so over two years ago, I gave up cold turkey, which was really, really hard at first, not because I wanted to drink, but because of exactly what you're saying. This is so incredibly ingrained in our culture. We are taught to believe that as women and mothers, especially, we need something to help us wake up and something to help us wind down. And we're told and believe that we need to drink to make it through our days. And so I just refuse to buy into that messaging anymore because drinking made my life harder. And I suspect that it does the same for a lot of us. Absolutely. And so much of your story resonates with me and things that I've been thinking about over the years. I actually... Probably about two years ago, I came across, I was listening to Brooke Castillo's podcast, The Life Coach School, if anyone's familiar with that. And she did a three-part series on over-drinking. And I sort of happened upon this three-part series and was completely fascinated by it. And I think that I was so pulled in because it was something that so deeply resonated with me. And she makes it very clear, and she Brooke Castillo does this whole program around over-drinking and that this isn't necessarily something for alcoholics and Mm -hmm. a very simplistic way of defining alcoholism. And obviously that's beyond the scope of what we're talking about today, but is alcoholism is when alcohol is really affecting your ability to operate on a daily basis. Is it affecting Mm -hmm. your ability to get up in the morning, affecting your ability to get to work? Is it affecting your ability to make dinner for your kids? And that's not per se what we're talking about. We're talking about probably a less invasive type of alcohol use, but nonetheless one that can still be impactful on our daily lives. And I always thought about alcohol use in terms of like, there were people who drank and then there were alcoholics. I never thought about this sort of middle of the road gray area with people who drank more than they really wanted to drink. And that's who I was. And that at this point in my life, I think when I was in college, my husband and I met in college and we were, we met through the fraternity and sorority scene and we very much lived that life. And we were out at the bars and drinking and we were drinking to have fun. And then as we got older and had kids, I think that morphed into this idea of we were drinking because that's kind of what we did. You know, on Mm -hmm. Saturday night, we would have wine and once my first child was sleeping through the night, we, it was it would often be, I remember sitting at home and he would go to bed at like 6.30 and it'd be 6.30 on a Saturday night and we'd be like, all right, well, what now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. you have this time, especially in the evenings where it's like, it, normally in my pre-kid life, that would be filled with drinking and going out to dinner and, and going to bars. And, and now that I have kids and I'm home, that transformed into drinking at home. 
And somewhere along the line, as eventually it became less and less, and it sort of has, it's faded off naturally because, you know, we have to get up early in the morning with our kids. My son gets up at 6.15 every morning, even on Saturdays. And out of necessity, it's faded off. But the sinking feeling that I still want to do less of it, it's still Mm -hmm. stuck with me. And that's something that I'm kind of wrestling with now is that even though on the average week, like I don't drink during the week. So on the, on a weekend, I'll probably have like two or three drinks throughout the weekend, but I still feel like I want to do less. And that, and I, I'm, I'm trying to understand like, where is that coming from? It's, it's not affecting my ability to get up in the morning. It's not really affecting my ability to be a parent, but it does. It feels a little bit like you described, like a screen door. Like, why do I need this? I guess that's the real question I'm asking myself. Like, why do I feel the need to do this? Absolutely. And that was what a lot of the deep work around this was for me. And, you know, you spoke about alcoholism and addiction, and those things are very real. And people absolutely suffer in ways that I did not. And that's where it got tricky for me, because that's where I was looking, right? I was saying, well, am I an alcoholic? No, I'm not an alcoholic. I was, I was just like you. I, this, it wasn't really affecting my day to day but it still felt like a fog. And so I really couldn't figure out what to do with this disconnect that, well, if I'm not addicted, if I'm not an alcoholic, then why can't I drink? Why am I struggling so much with this? What I came up with was that I still was abusing alcohol in the sense that I felt like it was something I needed to get through the day. Okay. So even if it wasn't every day, um, I think that we tend to stigmatize drinking and what a lot of us are doing is drinking just socially, even two or three drinks over the weekend. But drinking just socially is problematic for so many of us. And so we're looking at how many we drink and how many times a week we drink. And it's really not about that. I think it's about how we feel inside. And if it's not working for us, then that's good enough. That's the only reason that we need. I was at home. I was mothering. I was being a wife. I was getting stuff done. Everything was fine, but it wasn't working for me on the inside. And that at the end of the day was the only thing that I could go on. And that was enough for me. It's not about the quantity. It's about, there's just that sinking feeling that you want to make a change. Yes. And I really didn't want it to be that because if that were the case, then I knew the answer. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And And it's hard, right? I think my thought at this time is that, well, first of all, that's sort of my husband and I, our relationship has really formed around alcohol. We like go to dinner and we drink wine. And on the weekends, we have a bottle of wine together. And that has, in some ways, as I'm reflecting, become a part of what we do together. And if I'm going to quit drinking, then does that mean he needs to quit drinking? How is that? What is your husband's relationship like with alcohol? How has that changed since you've stopped drinking? So I'll say that my husband is quite possibly the most supportive human being on the face of the earth. He is truly, you know, the person that if I have an idea, he supports it. He lets me be me. He lets me go after anything that I want. And he was the one that was hearing all of my whining, you know, my oh God, I never want to do this again. Oh, just one drink and I feel horrible the next day. You know, we, we are very close and he was a part of those conversations. And, you know, he took them with a grain of salt. And when I decided to quit drinking, it was a very rare time where we were apart for two weeks. He was actually at training, um, training in New York City. And I decided that I was going to quit during that time because he had listened to me talk about it. And I wanted to 
act on it. And I knew that it was something that I wanted to do on my own. And I told him when he came back and he got tears of joy. He cared if I drank or not, but because he was so happy that I was finally doing something that I wanted to do. He absolutely still drinks. He didn't, I never asked him to quit drinking. I didn't need him to quit drinking. But my husband, his name is Patrick. He, I think, had a different relationship with alcohol than I did. I do think there's people that they can have a beer or two here and there. And it just doesn't, I don't think that my husband really thinks about drinking. I'm an overthinker. And it was something that I definitely was taking up too much of my brain space. And it doesn't take up his brain space. Other things take up his brain space. And so he has a drink every now and then, but not often. And it works well. We go out all the time and we don't drink anymore. And it was just like you and your husband, such a big part of our lives. Everything revolved around that. And it's just very organically mellowed. And I don't even know if we've ever even overtly discussed how it's tapered off in that way. It just was a natural thing. So what about your relationship with your friends who you would drink with before? That's a great question. And I have a couple of answers to it. So first I'll say that I love deeply connecting with people. I am intuitive. I like to really get in there. I'm not very good at small talk. I really want to know your whole life story and just really connect with people. And I have a lot of really close relationships and I'm lucky for that. And I was really good at this connection over alcohol, over drinks. But what would happen is that then I wouldn't remember half of what I talked about with my friends. And my friendships, while they were deep and meaningful, that's really all we did together was drink. And I started realizing I kind of wanted to spend time with my friends sober So since I quit, there have been awkward moments for sure, like really awkward moments, but they were mostly at the beginning and almost always with acquaintances or with people I didn't know as well. It was never with my close friends. And it was before I knew how to set firm boundaries. It was before I knew that I could just say no and not explain to anybody why I wasn't drinking or why I didn't want to come to an event. At first, I really tried to make other people feel comfortable about me not drinking. And that was a horrible mistake, but it was innocent. I didn't really know how else to do it at first. And I got over that really quickly because I decided that it was not my job to make others feel comfortable with my decision and that I didn't quite, if I can be blunt, I didn't owe anybody anything. And I didn't have to drink and I didn't have to say why I didn't want to. But for my close friends, almost nothing changed. I told everyone they were lovely about it. They all still drink and it doesn't bother me one bit. But what we have started to do is we now spend time together without drinking too. And, you know, we go to yoga, we hike, we have coffee, we take trips, we go to see shows. It's truly deepened my close friendships. And there might be one or two that have kind of faded out, but you know, nothing crazy. I think I've honestly, Danae, had some of my most fun friend experiences since I've quit drinking. And you have to come up with things to do other than just go out. And it's been really amazingly fun to do that. So when you talk to people about this, it sounds like you don't really explain your choice. My fear is that other people are going, it's going to look like you're a little bit up on a soapbox. You've made this decision because you have these higher values and standards for yourself than other people or that sort of thing. Did you feel like that originally when you were? So I'm, yeah, so I'm over two years into this. This is a huge journey. Whether you drink one drink a year or 20, 
if you decide to not drink, it's something that you have to come to terms with. It is so ingrained in our culture. So this was a learning process for me. And at first I was over explaining to everybody. I was telling everybody why I wasn't drinking. And also I'll tell you that my reasons for not drinking when I quit are very different for why I'm, for why I'm continuing to not drink. It's evolved. It's gotten, I've gotten more and more connected to being sober. It's gotten richer and deeper and better. So while I quit drinking for a lot of reasons, I continue to not drink for multitude of other reasons. And, you know, when I do talk about it, I think first and foremost, if I talk about something publicly, whether it's this podcast or if I'm putting it on social media or if I'm writing it down or if I'm saying it to a friend, I'm saying it to myself, first and foremost. All the life lessons that I've learned are hard and and I need remembering and reminding often, you know? And I've found that as a writer, as a teacher, as a storyteller, as a person who has extremely close relationships with other women, that I do have an opportunity to share my experience. And and also, Danae, we all have a right to tell our story without us being told that we're preaching. I think that that's been a really important lesson for me, that I'm allowed to share and to speak openly without it being about me telling other people what to do. I think women get pigeonholed into that, kind of being bossy. And I think that there's definitely people that are going to have absolutely no use for my story. And I totally get that. We're all different. We all have different lives and different things we focus on. Some people don't think about alcohol at all. But I firmly believe that there are people who want to talk about this. And I have personally spoken to countless women who are struggling with the same thing and, and that want to stop. But at the end of the day, I really don't care if other people drink. And, I, and my friends know that. I do not care if they drink. I care if I drink. And that's the life I try to lead. And that's where a lot of the point and uh, the focal point of my conversation comes from is is from my perspective about what I'm doing and how I'm living my life and not a judgment on how other people are living theirs. Right. And I think that this is a kind of a hot button issue. And I know when I posted that picture of the shirt at Target that said coffee till cocktails, when I put that on Instagram, I overwhelmingly, I think people were super supportive. My thoughts resonated with them. But I also got some pushback from people who I think were feeling attacked, who were feeling like I was belittling them with my encouragement to sort of abandon this philosophy of needing alcohol and needing caffeine and needing all these things to really live. And that, I guess that was hard because it's, that's, you're right. It's not, it's not about you all. I'm just putting this idea out there to the world that, Mm -hmm. Hey, maybe we don't need it. Maybe we don't even deserve it, which I think is another conversation, this idea of deserving alcohol. Yeah, I'll say first to the response, and then I'd love to get into this idea that we deserve alcohol because that's a great part of this conversation. But there are a lot of really incredible women in this sober space, and some of them are in the addiction space, and then some of them are not. So there's a lot of range of their perspective. But there are a few women who have been doing this since before me, and they were really helpful and just listening to their podcast and looking on their social media. And one of the women, Holly Glenn Whitaker, she said, this was before I even quit drinking. She said, if people react to you telling them that you are not drinking, then they are, you're seeing their relationship with alcohol. That's what you're seeing. And I found, I have found that to be 100% true because if people care that I'm drinking, then there it's more about them. And almost everyone has been like, okay, great. 
it just doesn't, if people don't care about drinking, it doesn't bother them whether or not you do. And that was really something I found to be true over the next, you know, over the last two years that I have quit drinking, that the people that react and care might be people who are thinking about their own drinking in a way that maybe they're not ready to share. Right. That the story maybe resonates with them a little deeper than they want it to. Or they might feel, they might take a message personally because we identify with this, right? It's also an identifier. Like we want to be loud and proud cocktails, right? This is so deeply ingrained in our culture. I think it goes into that deserving conversation, right? Well, we, we deserve this. It's this idea of deserving stuff is so popular right now. And I certainly bought into it for a long time. There's absolutely no judgment, but people love to talk about self-care and we love to talk about living our truth and a lot of these other buzzy ephemeral ideas. And it's absolutely a great idea to take care of ourselves, especially to make sure that we're healthy so that we can take care of our families. But really for me, I think a lot of times I used those things as excuses just to do whatever I wanted and also as excuses to do what I knew I probably shouldn't keep doing. And again, this is about me. And I think that, you know, I think we use it as to lessen or to block out deeper feelings that come from the fact that life is difficult and that balancing work and finances and kids and relationships, that's really, really hard. Being responsible is hard. And I think that the truth is, is that, you know, kids get cancer and parents die and accidents happen and life is messy And we do a whole lot to avoid looking at the truth that life isn't perfect, that life is really painful. And I think it's less, you know, so because of that, because things are painful and difficult, I think, and we also try to be everything to everyone, we we do feel like we deserve something at, at the end of the day. But I think the conversation is less about what we feel we deserve and more about why we feel we deserve something. And it's not just about alcohol. This conversation is not just booze. It is, we utilize these same behaviors and numbing mechanisms with food, drugs, shopping, sex, Netflix. Oh my gosh, I can use Netflix like a drug. (laughs) And a lot of us can, you know? And so for me, I had to get into the deep work of figuring out why I felt like I deserved something. If I felt unworthy, why was I needing to treat myself, pat myself on the back? And I was also just setting myself on fire to keep other people warm. You know, I felt compelled to prove myself all the time. And, and I was just looking forward to something to get through each day. And so for me, it was, it's way bigger and deeper than a glass of wine. It's way bigger and deeper than a t-shirt that says from coffee to cocktails. It's about how we see ourselves. And that takes a lot of really deep, deep, deep interrogation. That's my perspective. Right. And the deserving is sort of another way of just putting up that fog of dealing with yes. it's sort of, we deserve to have a drink. It's like, we deserve to have a smoke screen. We deserve to have something yes. put in front of us to have to prevent us from having to face the reality that life is really tough. Mm-hmm. And we cling to it. And it's, these are identifiers. Yeah. And so we cling to being whatever type of mom you are. You know, I loved this title of cancer mom or special needs mom. It sounds kind of morbid, but I, I knew how to do that. You know what I mean? And I felt like it was a worthy thing. And we cling to these ideas of fun mom or like, yeah, you know, I work hard and I play hard. All of this stuff is identifiers. And it's really, it's insidious. It just kind of creeps into our lives. 
until we're just on autopilot and we are saying and living things that we haven't ever really examined. Do we really want to open that glass of wine at the end of the day? Or are we looking for something else? Maybe we want to get a new job, or maybe we want to go for a run, or maybe we want to call a friend we haven't talked to in a while, but we're not really thinking about what we really want. We're just doing what we're used to doing because it gets us results really quickly and that we can numb ourselves pretty fast with any of these things. Absolutely. And it it does. You're right. It, It takes so much introspection and work as to really understand what is driving you. And I think what I see a lot in, especially in the motherhood community, is that women have a tendency to categorize themselves, you know, the working moms and the stay-at-home moms, yes. and like you said, the fun moms and the special needs moms, and that we feel like we need to fit somewhere, and we feel like there's a group for us, and there's an identity for us. And the reality is that we don't fit into a group. We don't fit into any certain box in any certain way, and that we need to be our own category, our own group, rather than striving to fit into one or another or be like one or one person or another person. Absolutely. And that is so hard. I mean, we have a tribe mentality. You know, this is, we want to be accepted, we want to be validated, we want to be liked. It's my, It's my thought that maybe some of the people that responded to that post of the t-shirt really identified with that t-shirt as being the coffee to cocktail type of mom, you know, and, and I see that everywhere. Like I said, it's not just about alcohol. What, what are we identifying ourselves with? And if we strip all of that away, then who are we? If I'm just Brooke, that feels really scary to me if I don't know who I am. And so that's the work I've been doing is stripping away the layers of myself. And as we do that, as we strip off one identifier after another, and we learn about, you know, our emotions and our, and our memories and our traumas and our past, and we start to sit with this stuff that feels uncomfortable and we start to heal, well, then we show up. And when we start to show up, we can feel more stable without all of that exterior identification. Right. And so I have to ask now, if you take away the wine and the Netflix and the social media addictions and the shopping, what's left? What are you doing now? (laughs) I mean, I know everyone's thinking this, like, what are you going to do with your time? Well, so last Friday night, I spent three hours at a yoga studio doing acro yoga with some kids who are in their twenties and they were throwing me around the room. I'll be 38 next week. And I'm... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that sounds really fun. And I'm being up I'm upside down. I'm like, you know, it was incredible. And so this fog of alcohol or whatever it is, you know, whatever our fog is, and believe me, I have a thousand of them. I still love coffee more than anything. And I have to examine that. I don't feel like examining it, but I should, you know, <laughs> I, I like I like chocolate. Look, I'm or human. I still I'm very impatient with my kids. I can I can be a yeller, but the truth is, is that I'm a work in progress and I'm getting closer to who I want to be. And that person is, you know, as a child, I told you I was rebellious and I was curious. I'm, I'm still curious and I want to learn about other people. And so now I go to acro yoga or now I go and I, I try out that new coffee, uh, I'm sorry, chocolate place that only serves chocolate. Like there's a place like that. Or I'll call friends. I go to meditation classes at night. I go to sound bowl meditations. Maybe that sounds horrible to people, but maybe you like to cook and you're going to go to a cooking class. Maybe you like to sing. Maybe you want to go to a concert. There's so many things. I'm a meditation instructor. I'm a yoga instructor and I'm a writer. So it's, it's kind of tapping into the things I've always wanted to do. I love to travel. And a lot of times travel was about finding the bar or the restaurant. And now 
It's about climbing the mountain. It's about swimming in the icy cold water. It's about experiencing life, whatever that means for you. And so when we take away the numbing mechanisms, there's a whole world out there that is happening right before our eyes that we're too busy drinking to participate in. And that's truly what I found. Right. And one thing that really comes to mind is once you strip away all those things, it leaves more sleep. (laughs) I think that's something that we feel like we're so deprived of as mothers, but often we'll stay up late to steal that extra time that we didn't get during the day. And we're staying up late doing these things that are really dragging us down and sleep. I would say there's not more sleep. I mean, there's better sleep. Your sleep is quality. But if you have little kids, my kids were in my room three times last night. So I am exhausted today. And my husband and I are leaving to go out of the country tomorrow morning. But here's the difference between not drinking is that I don't have the added dehydration, the added exhaustion, the headache. I can handle not having great sleep every night if I don't get it. And my sleep is much higher quality. Everything, that's a great word, is quality. Everything in my life is higher quality now. And so life is still hard. You still have all of these things. You have to cook, you have to work, you have to clean. You know, there's poop and there's vomit. Like all of that is still there. (laughs) You know, everything that comes with motherhood. But it's so much more manageable. It's so much more manageable. The sleep is more manageable. And that is truly a gift in my life. And I get to wake up even if my kids have woken me up 15 times and I feel good. Right. And And there's there's a toll that drinking takes on your body physically. And I think that as you get older, you become much more aware of it. And I know that when I'm overtired, I haven't gotten sleep or if I've had a couple drinks that I am grumpy and I don't want to be present and I don't want to be involved and I don't want to be reading books and I don't want to be doing any of these things. If I'm physically feeling good, I am going to be better and my relationship is going to be better with the people that are around me. 100%. And I think one of the things that I certainly didn't know while I was drinking, but it is as clear as it could be now is that drinking causes anxiety. Even one glass of wine, it affects our body so that it creates this cycle of kind of just worry. And depending on how much you drink, either low grade vibration of anxiety, or it could be really high panic attacks, you know, if you've had a lot to drink. And I certainly worry about things that are appropriate to worry about, but I have had no just like underlying anxiety since I quit drinking. I don't get woken up in the middle of the night like that (gasps) feeling that I was very familiar with that does not exist anymore. I fall asleep very, very, very easily. And, you know, drinking affects us in ways just scientifically. I mean, even if people aren't worried about their emotional state, there's so much research out there about what it does to us physically and mentally, how it affects our processing time, how you might perform in a meeting the next day, how your driving is affected. It affects everything. And there's just no avoiding that truth. So what words of advice do you have for people that are just wanting to cut back versus completely cutting out drinking altogether? What do you think the difference is between cutting back to one drink a week versus completely cutting it out? So that, I think that depends on the person. I know a lot of people who are um, very disciplined people. I am not by nature a disciplined person. I have to set myself up to be disciplined. I have to live my life in a certain way so that I can 
organically, naturally have discipline in my life. I'm not, I'm not one of those who like sets goals and goes after them like in that kind of way. So I think there are certain people who absolutely do very well creating rules and sticking to those rules. I am by nature rebellious, so I can stick to rules for a week or two and then it's a big screw you and I go way off toward the other side. So I think for starters, it's not, up, you know, I can't really give advice on that because it's up to the people. I think it's know yourself, but gosh, you know, I loved to try to think about moderation. I really tried that. I started to make up all of these rules and I think for me, that was a sure sign that something's got to give because it was just taking up so much mental noise. I was thinking about how to moderate my drinking all the time. And that was a warning sign for me that moderation was just a, it was another excuse. It was another form of procrastinating. So for me, I would say if a person's spending a lot of time thinking about their drinking, they should probably look deeper at their drinking. But I also think that there are people who, you know, certainly do well with a very structured, moderated life and and they would know themselves best in that way. Thank you. Well, this has been so enlightening, Brooke. I really appreciate your time and chatting with us. And I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people who have questions and comments. And if you have any resources, I know you mentioned that there were some individuals that you felt really helped you through this process. I'd love if you would send those to me and I'll put those in the show notes. Absolutely. I have I have book ideas. I have a couple of social media links. I can send you quite a bit of things because you know, a lot of times we don't talk about this publicly. This is a really personal struggle. This is a lot of the stuff you think about when you go to sleep at night. And I wanted to know that, that there were other people out there who were thinking about this in the way that I was. And so I really needed those resources. And so I'll certainly send those to you. And, and, and I'm certainly available to be a resource as well, because I think so many of us are examining our behavior and our relationship to drinking. And, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's time for us all to kind of have open conversations about this. I agree. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have questions or comments, leave those in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 128. And in those show notes is where you'll find the links to learn more about Brooke and to follow along with her on her journey. Thanks so much for tuning in.